What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. The new report by the UC Berkeley Labor Center called the State of Working East Bay analyzed living and working conditions among workers in the East Bay before the pandemic from 2015 to 2019, which demonstrates that many workers and their families struggled to make ends meet even before COVID hit. Joining, joining me to discuss are Dr. Savannah Hunter, a National Science Foundation graduate research fellow who studies work and inequality. She was the lead researcher for the report. Good morning, Dr. Hunter. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining. We're also joined by Kate O'Hara, the executive director of eBase, that's East Bay Alliance for a Sustainable Economy. Good morning, Kate. Good morning, Kat. Good to hear your voice. I want to um, start off actually by telling our listeners a little bit about who they're talking to. Kate, talk to us about the work of eBase. Yeah, so eBase, you know, we, um, we really believe that everybody that's living here in the Bay Area, um, you know, really deserves the chance to um, to have a, all of the collective rights that we deserve, right? That everyone has a right to an economically stable, thriving life and community. And what we know is that the cost of living in the Bay Area is really high, right? When we go to pay for groceries, they're so much more expensive than even before the pandemic. And groceries were already expensive then. Working and living in the Bay Area has been tough for a long time. And this report shows that many workers struggled to make ends meet during what economists considered the good economic times, right, before COVID hit, and that this is especially true for Black and Latino workers. Wages weren't keeping up then, and they aren't keeping up now, especially as the cost of living and rents keep going up. And so eBase is working with cities to make sure that we are doing more to raise wages and protect housing for workers in the Bay Area. We're going to talk a little bit about what that organizing looks like. Dr. Hunter, tell us a little bit about the UC Berkeley Labor Center. What kind of work do you all engage in? Absolutely. So our work includes doing research on low-wage uh, issues facing low-wage workers in California, as well as issues facing retirement security, health care, uh, and uh, the green economy. We also have an arm of the Labor Center that trains uh, students in, in labor studies and also has a, a labor and uh, develop, workforce development and high-road training partnership programs. So um, on my team, we, we do a lot of research around issues facing low-wage workers in the Bay Area and California more broadly. When we say workers, who exactly are we talking about and what industries are they concentrated in? Uh, I'll throw that to you, Dr. Hunter. Yeah, so this report, we use data from the census, and we looked at workers, including those between the ages of 16 and 64. So these are folks who are prime age workers, you know, not, not retired. And uh, this included uh, workers in all industries and occupations in the Bay Area. And we looked at how many workers were making low wages, struggling to make ends meet. And these workers um, are, exist across the spectrum of industries and occupations, but many are co- um, concentrated in the retail industry, for example, food service, um, low wage, nursing assistant work, health care. Um, caregiving and other uh, occupations really stand out, but low-wage workers can be found across industries and occupations in the East Bay. Kate, one of the things that I found interesting that was asserted is that the area, the, the, the time before the pandemic, there was a perception that we were in a strong economy. What was the reality? 
Well, exactly. You know, that what we understand is that even during what economists thought were good economic times before COVID hit, that workers were already struggling to make ends meet. You know, and we are talking about our neighbors, our family members, people working at restaurants and stores and hotels, child care providers and elder care providers. You know, these are jobs that are currently low-wage jobs. And the report shows that more than half of East Bay workers earned wages too low to support a family of four. You know, for Black workers, it's even more acute. Two out of three Black workers were not earning enough to um, be able to support a family of four. Hispanic workers, three out of four Hispanic workers, the wages were too low. And so what this tells us is that this idea of returning to a pre-pandemic economy is really not enough for people to get by. We look, the report looks at how workers are affected by both low wages and high housing costs because these are two sides of the same coin, right? We really need our cities to stand up and do more to raise wages and protect housing for workers in the Bay Area. And Dr. Hunter, I don't know if you can answer this question or not, but I'm I'm interested in if that is a reality, right, for black and brown and uh, poor folks, how do economists then say we're in a strong economy when so many people are struggling? Like, what metrics do they use to yeah. say the economy's strong? You know, that's a great question. I think that that's one of the things we want to sort of uh, point out in this report is that sort of by convention, we sort of hear that the you know, economy is strong, um, but the reality is quite different for workers. And so that's kind of what we wanted to showcase in this report is that we sort of hear these things in the news and in the media, but we really wanted to showcase that if you look at even the you know, pre-pandemic, before the economic downturn, most recently in our ongoing recovery, workers were struggling. So, you know, that sort of narrative that our economy was strong and healthy and prosperous really was not true for, for many workers in the East Bay, especially for workers of color, as Kane pointed out, with two out of three black workers, three out of four Hispanics, and half of folks identifying as Asian or Pacific Islander, again, earning wages too low to support a family of two working adults and two children. Okay, I want to walk in a little more detail through some of the findings. So a quarter of all East Bay workers were in low-wage job. What qualifies as a low-wage job, Dr. Hunter? Yeah, so what we do is we look at um, wages across the board for all workers in California, and then we identify what is sort of the median or the middle worker making. And so that's kind of a baseline. And then from there, we, we look at, well, how many workers are making about two-thirds or less of that amount? So in 2019, that was around $16. So how many workers are making less than $16 in the East Bay? And so that came out to be about a quarter, about one in four workers earning low wages. So it's a measure of kind of the labor market. How are workers comparing to other workers in the labor market? And then there's another finding. More than half of East Bay workers earn wages too low to support a family of two adults and two children. It says it's calculated using MIT's living wage calculator. What is that? Yeah, so this is a tool that comes out from the Massachusetts Institute for Technology, and they update it every year. What they do is they take into account the cost of living for specific geographic areas. So they look at housing costs, um, transportation, basic food costs, um, basic health care costs, if you have children, um, basic uh, child care costs, and other miscellaneous measures. They take that into account and they say, okay, what would a a worker who worked full-time all year need to make in order to just support themselves to survive at a very basic level. This measure is essentially an alternative to to poverty. And so um, that estimate is about $21, about $22 now um, in in 2023. 
And so what that means in the, in the course of, of our study is that many workers were not making even that sort of basic threshold to be able to support themselves. And that's, again, that's about $21 if you're one adult living by yourself. If you're two adults supporting, you know, a family of two children and you're both working, that's about $30 needed per adult just to support a family um, in the East Bay. And you mentioned poverty. The report says one-fifth of Hispanic workers and 17% of black workers lived in or near poverty. How do you define poverty in this country? Well, I, I know that um, definition is, isn't all that great. <laughs> yes, exactly. So we, we looked at poverty in the report, but we also looked at, as I mentioned, the MIT living wage calculator and the low-wage worker threshold that we just talked about earlier as sort of an alternative to the poverty measure. But the poverty measure that we have in the report comes from the federal government. It's a standard that's been in place since the 1960s, essentially accounts for the cost of food, three times the cost of food. And so the measure is based on how much would it cost to feed a family of different sizes and is in, you know, today's dollars. And so we know that that measure is flawed because people aren't only paying for food. Costs have gone up in other ways. But we continue to, to use the poverty measure broadly among researchers and policymakers because the federal poverty measure is used to um, as sort of a, a way to identify which families should be eligible for social benefit programs. And so, like you mentioned, about one in ten workers were um, in what we call near poverty and um, double that for among Hispanic workers. And this is a big one. I mean, I know the first, I, like two days before the first of the month, right, I start to get the feeling in the pit of my stomach and, and I make a, a decent living. Um, but this finding more than a third of East Bay workers were rent burdened, paying a large percentage of their earnings to keep a roof over their heads. How much of your income going to rent makes you rent burdened? And how much should people be paying? So the standard that has been used by housing and urban development and researchers for many years has been with uh, the standard of paying about 30% of your household income on rent. That number may be a little bit arbitrary. You couldn't say necessarily that's the right amount, but that is kind of the standard that folks tend to use. So that's what we use in this report as well, is look at how many people were paying more than 30% of their income on rent. And that's about one in three people in the East Bay. And again, workers of color were struggling even more. Almost half of black workers in the East Bay were paying too much on rent. And Kate, I'm going to throw the follow-up question to you because you work with the people. When you're paying that much of your income towards rent, what does that effectively mean for other areas of need in your life? Well, absolutely. I mean, we all, so many people are paying too much on rent. And, you know, this study looked at both how workers are affected by low wages and high rents because these are, you know, housing and jobs, wages and rents, these are two sides of the same coin. And if you're not earning enough or you're paying too much on rent, you're having to sacrifice other basic needs in your life. Um, and, you know, the truth is that here in the Bay Area, there's more than enough wealth and abundance to go around. But we have a handful of corporations that are, you know, benefit from leaving neighbors without quality jobs, without stable housing and safe neighborhoods. And so we really want to see cities taking more leadership to pass the policies that are going to shift that, you know, to really make sure that we're sharing the abundance in the Bay with everyone who's living here. Dr. Hunter, how does the numbers we're looking at in the East Bay compare to other places in the country? You know, that's a great question. We um, we do have a, an explorer on our website where we look at um, 
low-wage workers across California, and you can kind of explore it, the state as a whole. Um, but yeah, this report was mostly focused on the East Bay, and we haven't um, done any analysis for, for other regions in the state or um, other um, parts of the country, but folks could certainly check out the MIT Living Wage Calculator and see, well, what does it take to, to live in, in my area of the state or my area of the country? And they could explore, you know, what that means for them. And Kate, I know this isn't detailed in the report, but, you know, when I see these numbers and, um, you know, engage with, with our community members, what I think about is the emotional and mental impacts and the impacts on physical health. Can you talk about how living in poverty, how, how working to live basically um, impacts our, 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 our mental, emotional, physical health, our ability to show up and be present fully in other places in our lives? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, everybody who is working so hard and still not being able to make ends meet, still not being able to keep a roof over their heads, uh, you know, which this report shows was true even back in 2019, um, it does take a big toll on folks' physical and mental health. You have to forego um, healthy food and, um, you know, access to health care and other supports and just the stress of, you know, how to get by day to day. And, you know, this is why, you know, we see that, workers and tenants are organizing, right? That, you know, people are organizing from Starbucks to Amazon warehouses to hotels because wages are too low, but it doesn't have to be this way that, you know, we can make new decisions that make sure that everybody that's living here can be economically stable. Um, but we have to make that choice and have to really value uh, human life and dignity in our community in that way. Well, the press release, Kate, said that this report is timely, right, as folks think about the repercussion of Mayor Tao's budget in Oakland, a budget that slashed virtually every department with the exception of the police department. How does the budget as it currently stands make conditions for workers worse, and what would you hope to see in a May revise? Absolutely. So, you know, we know that how we decide to spend our resources is critical to how we are actually, you know, taking care of each other and building a strong community. Uh, you know, the safest communities are not the most surveilled or armed or policed. They are the ones that are the most well-resourced. And that means access to good quality jobs, housing, and public safety programs that work. And so we're really looking for cities, you know, from Oakland, you know, out to Contra Costa and all around the Bay to really invest in access to good jobs, um, implementation of good jobs policies, housing and tenant programs and public safety programs that would actually keep our communities safe and thriving. I'm going to throw this to you, Dr. Hunter, and then, Kate, I'd love for you to weigh in. What came to my mind uh, was, you know, given that these were the economic conditions for workers before the pandemic, uh, what kinds of conditions can we assume workers are living in now after we've all lived through and are still living through, quite frankly, the economic pandemic that came hot on the heels of the coronavirus pandemic? That's a great question. And one of the things we plan to do at the Labor Center next year is to do an, a second report looking at more recent data that will be available from the Census Bureau so we can really look at what was it like for workers during the pandemic and during this ongoing recovery. But what we know at a national level is that workers during the, you know, this ongoing recovery have seen a little bit of wage growth. Their wages have gone up a little bit. But considering, again, the cost of living in this country and the fact that um, in California and that wages were already too low, the wage growth that workers have seen is probably not enough. Okay. 
Yes. You know, I think we all know how hard it is to live in the Bay Area, right? The, you know, cost of living, the cost of groceries, the cost of rent keeps going higher. A lot of the short-term pandemic protections that were put in place by cities have now been eliminated. And, um, and you know, wages, you know, weren't keeping up back in 2019, and they are keeping up now. Um, and this is especially true for Black and brown workers. And so uh, we really need to be doing more to invest in um, improving wages and uh, renter protections. Uh, you know, we're seeing some of this in Bay Area cities, but we need to be seeing a lot more of it. And, you know, that's what, you know, as an eBase and, and our allies are going to continue to be doing in the community. Okay, can you give me a specific example? Like, what's a policy that would address the low wages that so many workers face? Like, what could actually be done at a legislative level? Absolutely. I mean, we, you know, as we've done before in Bay Area cities in Oakland and California, we can raise wages. We can just, uh, you know, cities in the state can mandate a higher minimum wage um, in any of our individual cities or um, throughout the state. Uh, cities can also, you know, the city of Oakland actually has a number of great labor and worker rights standards on the books, but they're not always being enforced or implemented. And so we need the city of Oakland to invest in making sure that workers and employers know what the rules of the game are and that these are being actually enforced. Um, and on the other hand, uh, in terms of addressing the high housing costs, cities can pass rent stabilization ordinances um, and just cause eviction protections to reduce the you know, possibility that you're going to get evicted by your landlord. Um, and so we really need to address these from both sides so that people can be earning enough to keep their roof over their heads and they can have stable housing to be able to you know, really be a part of our community and, and live stable lives. And forgive my ignorance here, Kate, but didn't we pass rent stabilization here in Oakland and don't we have protection for renters and yet we remain in this crisis? That's right. I think, you know, we are seeing the city of Oakland and some cities throughout the Bay Area are passing policies and clearly we need to be doing more, right? I think we're still um, really at the edges of what's possible and so we need to see much uh, more robust policies. Um, there's also state reforms that are needed to make it possible, um, you know, to pass, we need to shift the cost of Hawkins law at the state level so that we can pass more robust tenant protection policies locally. So, you know, this is, uh, these are things that, that cities and our state can do, and it's gonna take all of us to get there. Dr. Hunter, I'll leave you, I'll turn it to you for final words. What do you hope your report uh, produces in terms of actual outcomes for the folks? Yeah, I think this report left me with, with two broad conclusions that Kate has sort of stated, which is one, that wages are too low, but increasing wages on its own is often not enough. We, we point to a study in her report that came out of Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia that shows that when you raise the minimum wage, um, landlords often raise uh, rents proportionally. And so, you know, mm. wage gains going to workers sometimes can be lost through through rents going up. And we actually saw that in our report that the proportion of workers who were rent burdened was pretty consistent throughout 2015 through 2019, even though wages had gone up a little bit, but rents had uh, as well. And so I think the, the two things in here, as Kate was saying, was, you know, making sure that workers are earning wages that can support their, their lives, but also that people really have, you know, affordable housing that, um, you know, doesn't overburden the, the wage gains that they've earned. 
All right. I want to thank you both for coming on the show this morning. Thank you, Kat, for having us. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.